Hello, I'm Greg Crow, and you're listening to episode 20 of Audio Off the Shelf, the podcast where I play a handful of tracks from my physical collection. Everything I play on this show comes off the vinyl shelves in my living room, off the CD shelves in my basement, or out of that box of cassettes I keep on the shelf in the storage room. A couple of weeks ago, Boston's Mighty Mighty Boss Tones released their 11th studio album entitled When God Was Great. My relationship with this band is one that runs deep and finds its origins at an independent skate shop in Winnipeg in 1993. When I was a grade 12 student at John Taylor Collegiate in Winnipeg, I was a proud guitarist for a straight-edge hardcore band called Chop Logic, whose unpolished, immature, clumsy, but impassioned sound was mostly fueled by the music of Gorilla Biscuits, Minor Threat, Chorus of Disapproval, and Slapshot. Although I was very attracted to the brutal honesty and the succinct delivery that hardcore punk provided, I was also delving into some other new genres in those formative years. I had also discovered and fell in love with the industrial power of ministry, the folk punk poetry of Billy Bragg, and the infectious sound of ska revival in the specials. The lead singer of Chop Logic had mentioned in a conversation that his understanding of ska was limited, but he did like the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. I mean, after all, they grew up out of the Boston hardcore scene and paid their respect as such with a cover of a Slapshot tune on their latest album. And so, I found myself at Skate one evening, and I was holding a copy of the Boss Tones' More Noise and Other Disturbances. Without any hyperbole, I can say that buying that record changed my life. Long before the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones put their global print on the world with their 1997 smash hit, The Impression That I Get, the Boss Tones were scribing a personal calling for an impressionable 18-year-old me back in the summer of 1993. Some friends of mine and I that summer started a ska band called Whole Lotta Milka, and although the musical tastes of the members of that band were eclectic, as it really should be, there were a few commonalities that ran through that band, and among the most important of which would certainly be the mighty, mighty boss tones. If you played in a ska band any time in the late 1990s, you felt the residual effects of the colossal impact that was made by the boss tones. From 1993 to 96, I was suffering from ska definition exhaustion. It seemed like anyone who asked about the band came to see the band play Every interview I did, every extended family dinner, I was having to explain and later defend ska music. But all of that changed in 1997, when the impression that I get erupted and the genre's moniker became part of the standard North American lexicon. But, as these things tend to unfold, ska receded almost as quickly as it came on. It headed back underground. Nevertheless, the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones soldiered on and have released six studio albums since the summer of the ska boom in 1997. The great thing about their longevity, in my opinion, is their integrity. Some bands remain bands only in the essence of the historical significance of the band's name, their back catalog, and their front person. With the Boss Tones, there is still that core of members. I don't know if that means much to most people, but it really means something to me. I know who I'm going to see when I go to see the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. I know who I'm going to be listening to. 
I sat down with Scott, my fellow brother in Boston fandom, to revisit the Mighty Mighty Boston catalog and pick our favorites from each record. Now, just a couple of disclaimers before we begin. Picking favorites from 11 albums, plus a few EP cuts, plus a few cool stories, it adds some runtime, so I've decided to run this episode in two parts. I hope you'll come back for episode 21 next week for the second half of this Boston adventure through time. Also, Scooter and I do drop the occasional F-bomb, so if you have young kids around you, you might want to exercise some discretion. Finally, I make reference to an interview with Boston guitarist Nate Albert, but in the moment I couldn't remember the source. That interview I'm referencing came from Toby Morse's One Life, One Chance podcast, episode number 91. Please check it out. It's a great piece of Boston history, and Toby does fantastic podcast. Okay, on with the show. I'm sure it isn't good And I'm glad I haven't yet That's the impression that I get Scott, welcome to Audio Off the Shelf. Thank you so much for doing this, but I uh, really appreciate this. How are you doing today? Very well, thanks, Greg. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Uh, would you mind introducing yourself and and saying, oh, why are you here today? Why are, why are we doing this podcast together? I was bribed. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> like to thank our sponsors. Uh, no, uh, my name is Scott Reinhardt. I am a resident of Regina, formerly originally from Winnipeg, um, born, bred, and raised there. Moved here to work uh, with a, a restaurant company, Earl's, many, many years ago. Uh, I've known Greg for many years. Uh, we played together in, in Holland Milka. Uh, we knew each other through university. And Greg asked me to come on and, and talk talk to Boston's, which is occupies a very, very... Uh, important little chunk of my my life and my soul certainly does like of all my buddies that i know who are boston fans uh, scott i think you're the biggest and we've had the pleasure of seeing the boston's together a few times too yes. so my my memory of the boston's is pretty intricately linked to our friendship so i thought you would be a great guest and uh we would be able to wax poetic about their music today and if you're up for it um ready to go on that journey with you i'm awesome totally ready right on so what we're going to do is we're going to with uh, the in order to celebrate uh the new record that just came out uh we're going to go back to the beginning and we're going to review uh the whole discography we're going to go in chronological order and we're going to start with their very first album devil's night out and scott i ask you to pick your favorite tune from each record and then uh once we divulge that we'll play them back to back and give them a listen so let me start with you what's your favorite track from their debut album devil's night out hope i never lose my wallet oh such a good choice such a good choice you know i and here's the thing just the other day i was at work i'm a school teacher and i reach in my back pocket to get something and my wallet was gone Uh. and immediately i think of the song right and then i i ultimately i think of you too right it just that connection that happens so frequently I'm picking the title track, Devil's Night Out, because when I heard that, <laughs> that blew my mind when I heard that, right? Uh, so, so yeah, let's, uh, let's give a it listen. It was the first, right? It was that first song off that first album, and it, it, was, it literally punched you in the face. So let's give a listen to these tunes. We'll do uh, Hope I Never Lose My Wallet and Devil's Night Out from Devil's Night Out.
Okay, Scott, going into the next record, which is more noise and other disturbances. This was my first Boss Tones album. I remember being at the skate shop in Winnipeg, seeing that record, remember hearing something about it and deciding to take a chance. And what a moment for me to pick up uh, a record like that. It was 1993, I believe. Yeah, it was. It was 93. I saw this record. I was playing in a straight edge hardcore band at the time. So there was a little bit of a link there between the Boston hardcore scene and the Mighty Mighty Bostones. So some of my hardcore buddies were saying like, it's, it's one of the, the ska bands I'll listen to is the Mighty Mighty Bostones. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to check this out. And um, that was a definitive moment for me when I first heard that record. And that was my introduction to the Bostones. What was your uh, first introduction to the Bostones? So it would have been <clears throat> December of 1992, I want to say, because it was the year that I graduated high school, it was 93. Uh, we were, I was part of the uh, student council at my high school, and we were out delivering um, hampers. And we were driving around with our president, Steve, and he and I were talking, and he said, you know what, like, I was a skateboarder at the time, and he's like, you know, you listen, you're in the jazz band at school, but you listen to, you know, Suicidal Tendencies and DRI. He says, I got something you might like. Hmm. And he popped the cassette into the, into the tape player in his car and out came, uh, you know, more noise and other disturbances. And hmm. I was absolutely floored. I was like, what is this? Where did it come from? And why have I never heard it before? <laughs> and that was it. Like that was the gateway drug. It was right there. I think it was Where'd You Go was the first song he ever played for me. And it was, it was brilliant, right? It meshed all those things together that, you know, that you, that 
that I'd been listening to. I don't think I'd ever even heard of ska before that point. Um, I probably had heard it, but not known what I was listening to. Right. Right. And, uh, yeah. But that was it. I was in the car on, I want to say Rannick. So for some reason, I remember we were on Rannick <laughs> away from the school at the time. And uh, yeah, that was it. It was, the, the, it was born and I, I never looked back. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's a very special album for me. It's it's interesting when a band has been around long enough that they've got a, a, a large body of work and you can point to sometimes this is clearly their best album, but your favorite is usually your entry point, right? And this is this will always be my favorite Boston's album. Is it their best? Well, probably not. Almost certainly not. But for me, it's my favorite record. So uh, now we got like, it's your favorite album. It's my favorite album. Now we're going to pick our favorite track off, uh, off this record. And for me, uh, every time I hear the intro to he's back, I get warm fuzzies. Like it's, it's so important. And that's my favorite, favorite tune of it's my favorite Boston's tune period. How about you? That is exactly the same song I picked. Dang. (laughs) I I don't want to peak this podcast too early, but here we are. Right. (laughs) It's so good. Here it is. He's back by the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones from their album More Noise and Other Disturbances. Coming back when he spoke, it was tough to tell. He 
Scooter, so Scott Core, The Devil and More is our next stop here. It was kind of like the precursor to their next record, Don't Know How to Party. And it was an EP, but uh, like I was saying to you before we started recording, like this full album for me. What's your favorite Scott Core, The Devil and More tune? This one is the bonus track, How I Was, How I Am, the live version. Same here, buddy. That's what I got. It was the first, the first time I'd ever heard what they would sound like live. Right, you yeah. nurse those two albums, Devil's Night Out and More Noise and Other Disturbances, over and over and over again. The dreams of what would it sound like to see these guys actually perform, and then there's this track, and you're like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, yeah, incredible. next we're going to their 1993 release don't know how to party and this record's pretty important to me because uh as i was playing in this straight edge hardcore band that fizzled out um in the spring of 1993 i made the leap to playing ska music and 
in much in the same way that uh, you look at the Boston hardcore scene and you make the leap to the mighty, mighty Boston's uh, I was making the leap from, you know, poorly played hardcore to poorly played ska music. Uh, and I, I credit that to a, a huge portion of that to the mighty, mighty Boston's and the records they were releasing at, around that time. And one of them that was really important for, helping me to understand how to play that style of music was Don't Know How to Party by the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Uh, and there's a tune on there that's super special to me. And it's Someday, I suppose. It uh, just has so much nostalgia to it for me in more ways than one. How about you? Uh, do you got a favorite tune off that record? This one was this one was the first one I started really kind of struggling with trying to find my favorite because there was so much on there. Like the Stiff Little Fingers cover is brilliant. Like I love Tin Soldiers. Yes. But I settled on what was was over. At oh, the really? I'm a I'm a I'm a bit of a B-side junkie. Like I yeah. love digging into the B-sides of albums and like some of my favorite like Pixies tracks are all B-sides, real statics B-sides. And then you know, I get into this one, and it was what was was over, and it's that the layering during the chorus. When they're singing over top of each yeah, other, yeah, yelling, and I think it's probably it's either Dennis or Johnny Vegas in the back singing "What Was Was Over." Over, it's over. What was was over. It's just that layering part gives me chills every time I hear the song. Oh no, kidding! And it's, uh, it's awesome. Know, that like it's a good tune, but it didn't register as one of my favorites. Uh, it's one of those breakup songs. Yeah, classic breakup songs, and I mean that's probably end of high school, first couple of years of university. Yeah, constantly breaking up. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, good pick. Let's listen to these tracks back to back here. We're going to listen to What Was Was Over, uh, followed immediately by Someday, I suppose, from their 1993 record, Don't Know How to Party.
Nate Albert uh, has said recently that Question the Answers is a true Boss Tones fans record, which I found interesting coming out of guitarist Nate Albert's mouth, that this is a true Boss Tone fans record. What do you think about that statement? I find it interesting because I found that this one was one of those ones that when I first got it, it was challenging coming out of I found it challenging coming out of the last three albums because it sort of had some some things that changed the way that they sounded they changed changed the way that they wrote music and the I mean I love this album I don't think there's a Boston's album I don't love no exactly it's I it's the precursor to the big 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 album right (laughs) you can and you can hear it right you can hear it in kinder words and you can hear it in you know where they're they're finding that that less edgy Boston sound. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Um, at this time, Nate Albert also had said that uh, this is when they started working really, really hard. Like they were living on the road. Uh, and what I find interesting about that statement is when you go back and you open up uh, the liner notes to this record, 
there's not many pictures of them. In fact, it looks like they're at, uh, there's a picture of the band and it looks like they're at a, at a rest stop on the highway somewhere. There's a, <laughs> like, a truck stop somewhere. Yeah, like, it's, it's yeah. like, this is all we had time for. Like take the picture. It's going on the record, you know, <laughs> pictures. I ain't got no time for pictures. <laughs> That's right. This is working here. <laughs> well, let me back it up for a minute. If I were to ask you which one of their 11 records or 12, if you include Scott core, uh, which one is the true Boston fans album for you? I'd have to go. It'd be one of three. More noise, Scottcore, and Jackknife to a Swan. Interesting. I love Jackknife to a Swan. Okay, mine would be Pay Attention. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna delve into that I, I, when we get to Jackknife. I want to hear your thoughts on that. And uh, I'll tell you why I think Pay Attention is is the true fans record. But for now, what's your favorite track off of Question the Answers? Question the Answers. I actually had a bit of a struggle with this one. Going with my, you know, living in my B-side world, jump through the hoops. Nice. That's a really good pick. That it, it's it's, it's, it's that, working, that, that working guy's song, right? Like, yep. I know hell when I'm living in it. Yes. Yep. I'll live in hell to the day that they plant me. Like, those are some of my favorite lines boston lines of all time is i'll live in hell to the day that they plant <laughs> and it's like right. at the time i was working i believe this is when i was working at a gas station i'd been kicked out of university because i was a crappy student and i remember listening to this album and having you know guys making six figures coming to the gas station complaining to me about how much everything sucks and their life sucks and their wives suck and their kids sucks and their job sucks and that line i'll live in hell to the day that they plan me always rings yeah it's like i'm a you know 20 something year old kid that's been kicked out of university i'm managing a gas station i'm loving every minute of it because it's a blast i was working <laughs> yeah. with a dog at the time and you know that's but that's that's what you know you'll live in hell until the until the end if you don't make the changes and you don't do something different and you know you're doomed to repeat until you uh until you, you make those changes the, the line in uh, question, the answer is really more of a verse or part of a verse, at least in that tune is when he's talking about holidays have got to be the worst <laughs> chop down the tree. It's not for me. And <laughs> when, when they sang that it, it, my mind immediately jumps to the hometown throwdown, you know, yeah. like holidays have got to be one of the best things for the Boston's. Why are you talking about it like that? Right. Exactly. And, uh, you, you come to realize when you connect those dots, I think the hometown throwdown, is holiday therapy for that band. <laughs> you, know? you know what? That makes a lot of sense. It, it does, really does. Yeah. And I mean, I, that's one of my, still on my bucket list is to hopefully one day, knock on wood, make it to the hometown throwdown. So for any listeners that aren't aware of what that is, the boss tones um, have done, I don't know how many, like a dozen, 15. I think there are 15. Know. Now, yeah. yeah. Every Christmas they do a week long residency at a club in Boston. And it's usually been the Middle East club in Boston where they will play five nights in a row. Um, and, uh, and yeah, they do it at Christmas time every year. And what we'll, they uh, did a live album. We'll be talking about that one in a little bit, but for now uh, we're going to listen to jump through the hoops and, and my favorite track, hell of a hat. Ah, yes. Song about ah, so good guns. <laughs> Here we go. Wake up and shake myself out of bed again. 
in the day down in my head and then It's up and I rise and shine on the double No time to slack attack and tackle the trouble Shake myself out of bed again It's a nine-to-five nightmare I'm serving whiskey, stale wit and beer Come on in, have you been? Have I met you? What'll it be now? What can I get you? My job, well, it's a nightmare And every day from nine-to-five I'm there
staring, please excuse. Sharpest motherfucker in the joint. The other motherfucker stop and point. The here you ass seems complete. Why you gotta pack the heat? We push the blood and stress away. Don't think a piece is necessary. We agree on trust is scale. I wonder if you Thank you so much for listening this week. Please be sure to join Scott and I next week for part two, where we reflect on the Boston certified platinum album, Let's Face It, and all the albums that followed it leading up to their 2021 release, When God Was Great. We will also be talking about our live experiences with the Boston's and sharing some stories about when we met them and played with them. Still lots to unpack, and we hope that you'll join us. If you'd like to write to the show, you can do so at audioofftheshelf at gmail.com. You can also follow or tag the podcast on Twitter at AOTS204 or follow or tag the podcast on Instagram at audioofftheshelf. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to try to give it to you guys today. Audio Off the Shelf was recorded and produced in a little corner of my basement in Winnipeg. The Audio Off the Shelf logo was created by Benjamin Crow, based on the original iconic artwork by Donna Parsons. Audio Off the Shelf
bathroom. I'll show you my hair.